if I want to encourage you to turn, this is where we're going to start, and this is going to be our launching pad every week. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. I'm going to show you today the five pillars that we're going to be teaching about uh, from uh, chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. And you'll see the five pillars right there. Uh, if you've got your smart device or your Bible, I want you to open it up because that's not going to be the only place we're going to go. Uh, we're going to jump to the Old Testament, then back to the New Testament as I show you uh, some examples of each. And so, new guys, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, we've already got breakfast on the table uh, coming for next week, which is a, uh, which is a good thing. And um, it's not Jeff, so it's highly likely it'll be here. And so, uh, anyway... Uh, let me uh, let me open this in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day, and thank you for the guys that are here. And God, as we study your word and look to your word, let us um, let us glean some insights and uh, discover some wisdom from your word. Uh, God, as we uh, seek and desire uh, to be uh, to be better men. Uh, to uh, be on guard, to stand firm in our faith, to be courageous, uh, to be strong, and do everything in love. And so, God, I, I just pray that we wouldn't be confused by what the world says manhood is, certainly what social media or Hollywood or New York or any other um, uh, publication we might read, what it means to be a man these days, because, God, you've defined it long ago, what it means to be a man and uh, what it means to be a man who uh, lives in a biblical way and a- along a biblical model. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. All right, so uh, hey, and here, here's where we're going to go. Here are going to be the five pillars that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks. Uh, everybody have uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14 pulled up. If you've got a smart device, put it over in the NIV. Um, if, you've got a, if you've got a Bible, uh, whatever you have is what you have. And uh, so I want, us to, um, I want us to read this together as we can. And here are going to be the five pillars. And I'm going to read them, then we're going to read them together. Here's pillar number one. This is what we're going to look at today. Be on your guard. Here's pillar number two next week. Stand firm in your faith. Number three, be courageous. Number four, be strong. And then number five, do everything in love. Those are the five pillars that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks. We're going to look at some examples uh, of people that were epic fails in Scripture, uh, those uh, people who failed miserably. And then we're going to look at someone in Scripture, and I'm going to give you two people every week uh, that succeeded at doing just that. And uh, forgot to say, welcome back, Keith. Man, good to see you back. If y'all don't know, Keith's been through the ringer over there. Uh, I think he's got now a titanium back and uh, a lead skull. Uh, but he's had, how many surgeries have you had? Four surgeries in the last four months. Good to see you. Got a smile on your face, man. Uh, glad to have you. Glad to have you. All right, so let's read this together if we can. All right, on count of three. One, two, three. Be on your guard. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. And so as we journey through the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to look at one of these weeks. And so today I want to talk to you about being on your guard. You know, as men, uh, we, live, uh, we live in a world where if we let our guard down, uh, we're going to be taken out. 
We're either going to be taken out uh, by uh, someone who's the enemy. We're going to be taken out by temptations in our own life. Uh, we're going to be taken out by uh, even, even our own desires and our own hearts. Our eyes can take us away and take us out. Um, and so I want us to understand that it's really important that we are always on our guard, that we understand what it means to be on our guard. And so we're going to look today at probably um, the biggest epic fail in all of Scripture. I know you've heard of this guy. He's a guy named Samson. Uh, Samson had everything. If you look at what Samson had, man, he had, he had long locks. He had long hair. He was apparently strong and powerful just physically. Uh, if you didn't hear me um, in one of the services and several of the services this week talk about uh, Chase Durham, our student pastor, uh, was just at a weightlifting contest and basically won the best overall uh, lifter in his weight class uh, and lifted, man, 300, I think he's about 185, 188 pounds lifted 352 pounds from the ground over his head and uh man the cleaning jerk and then the snatch and just just a stud beyond belief all right uh i had been working with him for a while for that so don't give him all the credit on that um I had been helping. I had been counting. Yeah, that's 352, and uh, that was that was about all I could do to input it. But uh, there's some videos floating around uh, of him doing that and winning that. And so, you know, it's it's one thing uh, um, to be strong, and uh, Chase is strong, and uh, Samson was strong. Uh, he apparently was good looking because it, it seems to me like he was able to sleep with anything he saw. And uh, he was able to attract them. They were able to attract him. And uh, so he had a lot going for him. He had parents. Uh, if you look at it, uh, he had parents who cared. And we're going to see that here in a second. His, his parents constantly and consistently tried to point him in the right direction. But he constantly let his guard down. And he, sometimes he would get away with it. He would take a risk, and, you know, we as guys are risk takers. If you heard me talk Sunday morning uh, about uh, the fact that uh, Barclays just released a study uh, that over the long term, uh, ladies uh, who are in the world of investment are actually better investors than guys. And primarily because they have a tendency to look at fundamentals more. They have a tendency to be safer. Whereas guys, we are rolling the dice. We are taking the risk. We want the home run. We want the big hit. Uh, whereas the ladies just have a tendency to plot. And if you look at those and compare uh, the average statistical gain financially in the investment world of, of ladies who are trained and in, in, in that business compared to men, the ladies outperform the men. Because they look at a lot at fundamentals, they have a tendency to take fewer risk. Uh, they're not looking for uh, the home run. And man, when we look at Samson's life, it was just one risk after another risk after another risk. Now, there were times that he got away. There were most of the times in his life where he got away. And we're going to look at a couple of examples. But at the end of the day, uh, he consistently let his guard down and it ended up costing him everything. And so my desire is, as we look at Samson's life and a few key aspects of Samson's life, uh, that, um, that if you are in the midst of a journey of your life and you can think about things in your life where you've let your guard down, where uh, you, have, um, you have allowed temptation to sneak in, uh, that you uh, believe that your own power and your own uh, wittiness and your own intellect can get you out of, a tr- out of trouble, I want to encourage you to think again uh, because uh, Satan is uh, roaming around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Uh, 
And I love what Peter said in that passage when he said, seeking for someone to devour. I mean, Satan doesn't care. He doesn't care who it is. Uh, Satan really doesn't care when he rolls through this room who he takes out. He doesn't care whether it's me. He would love for it to be me or you or you or you or you or you or some guy that's been in the faith and been in the church for 60 years or some guy that you've been in the church for about six hours. He doesn't care. Satan's just looking to take you out, tear you apart. And uh, if we aren't careful, if we don't stay on our guard, that's exactly what he'll do. So first passage I want to go to is go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. First uh, Samuel chapter 16, if we talk about being on their guard, um, we're introduced to Samuel. Uh, his parents uh, have, have loved him, have cared for him, uh, have encouraged him to go in the right direction and go in, go in the right way. And uh, here's what we, are, we meet when we look in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, Samson um, is, um, is about to, uh, uh, to um, come to his end. So we're going to start at the end, then we're going to go back to the beginning. So let's read 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 20. It says, Then she's called to Samson, The Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. All right? This is the end of his life. He did not know the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes. And uh, I'm in uh, verse uh, uh, 20 and 21. 20 and 21. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 20 and 21. Is that, not, is that 19? What, what? Judges. Yeah, Judges. Did I, I wrote First Samuel 16. Yeah, go to Judges. We'll hit Samuel here in a second. All right? Yeah, Judges. It says Judges right here. I keep saying, I kept saying, I was having a brain murmur, all right? So, or maybe that's a brain fart. Yeah, Judges 16. All right. It's still, I'm still hung over from Easter. So, uh, preaching, my preaching. So, uh, all right. Thanks for hollering out, Kevin. No one else cared. Were they? Good Lord. All right, good, good. All right, Judges. All right, next we're going to Judges 14, just so y'all know. All right, here's what it says. This is the end of the story of Samson. It says, then he called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke, and he awoke from his sleep and, and thought, I'll go out just as I did before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Man, guys, this is, uh, this is where we want to be careful, that, that if we walk in such a way that we have walked with the Lord at some point, or you're beginning to walk with the Lord and you begin to take risk and you begin to walk away and you begin to mess around with the devil and uh, dink around in the wrong places and, and lower your guard, that there will come a time where the Lord will just remove his hand of protection from you. And, and, and that's not always obvious when that happens. For, for Samson, he didn't even know it had happened. And he thought he was just going to do just what he had done before. And we're going to see a couple of examples where he gets away with it. He didn't know. He just said, I'm going to go out. I'm going to shake free. I'm going to be fine. But God had left him. And there, there, there is a warning there for all of us that, that there are times, and I can look back over my life, and I can think over my life, and you all have heard me share on many occasions that, man, you know, b- before I surrendered the ministry, there, I was in places and spaces and around people and doing things that I I look back on and say, how did I survive that? Why did I survive that? 
And, and in any one of those seasons, I do believe that God was protecting me. But I also believe there, there would have been a space, as I continued to go in that direction, that God would have removed his hand of protection. He would have said, you know, that's enough. That's enough. And I may or may not have known it, but it's clear that Samson had no idea that God had said, you know what? From here on out, you're on your own. From here on out, you're on your own. And so then look on down in verse 21. It says, then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. Then they set him to the grinding grain, set him to grinding grain in the prison. Now, as uh, we think about it, it was not uncommon in those days uh, when, uh, uh, when someone uh, overthrew their enemy, vanquished their enemies. They loved to take their strongest and their brightest, the ones that they considered the best, all right, their best warriors, gouge out their eyes, all right, because also, often they were going to take in their, uh, the, the rest of their ladies and the rest of the people uh, as slaves to make them work for them. So what you do, what do you do? You take the biggest one they had, the strongest one they had, the one that led the charge, their Goliath, all right? You gouge out his eyes, and then you make them in a blind stupor do menial task in front of everybody. What is that? That's a great message for those that you have brought in to serve as your slaves, to, to do your task, that, listen, we've got your best and your brightest, the one that led you, the one that was strongest for you. We've got him grinding grain. So don't think your rebellion is going to work. So they didn't always kill these guys. What they did is they gouged their eyes out, and they said, hey, grind some grain, Every once in a while, we'll come over and let you lap your water out of a bucket like a dog on the ground. And then we'll give you a little bit of the grain you grind. And so it's a real message to those you had conquered. That here, look what we've done with your strongest, your best, and your brightest. And I want you to know that Satan would love to do that to you guys. He, he would love to, metaphorically speaking, gouge your eyes out, set you to grinding grain, and make you look humble beyond all humility in front of your family, in front of those you work with, and Satan would lap it up. He would love it. And so, guys, staying on our guard matters. Being on our guard matters. We can sit here and think about, well, you know, people don't do this today. And, and, and the truth is they don't do this today, uh, at, least, at least not over here in civilized places. But the truth is also, metaphorically, this happens all the time. Anybody ever known a guy that, man, if, if you looked at where he was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, to where he is now, his eyes may not have been gouged out, but his heart has. Boy, we, we think Keith has some back problems. Man, they, these guys, they've lost their spine. You see them walking around with their head down when they used to be so strong and proud and successful. And, and the point is, guys, Satan absolutely wants to do that to you. He wants to do it to me. And the only way we can make sure it doesn't happen to us is to be on our guard. That is the first pillar of biblical manhood is we've got to watch out because the enemy is always out there. Now, I told you the end of the story, but Satan had warned Samson many times before. His parents had warned him 
His friends had warned him, and he continued down the path. So that's how the story ends. But let's go look at Samson's journey all the way to having his eyes gouged out. Um, Let's pick up now. We go to uh, uh, Judges chapter 14. Jump a few chapters up earlier. Judges chapter 14, verse 1 to 4. And uh, we're going to look at, uh, at Samson's first mistake. And his first mistake was this. He stopped listening to wisdom. He stopped listening to the wisdom of others. Now, now in his uh, specific uh, uh, circumstance, we're going to see it's the wisdom of his parents. And we all know, uh, how many of you have teenagers? You know, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, there comes a point when they stop listening to you. Do you know that yet? Uh, you, you, you're still talking, but they're not listening, you know, and they're thinking, yeah, you grew up in a different age. You don't know, you don't have a clue. You don't this, you don't that. And, and you know, it's funny as, uh, as kids go through that stage, James Dobson years ago, uh, wrote a book talking about kids going into their teen years. Uh, and he says, it's almost somewhere around 13, 14 and 15. They fly into the clouds and you just wave bye to them. And you just someday wait on the other side, hoping they fly out of the clouds and you get to speak to them again. And they'll actually listen. But that's the truth, and that's the reality of, uh, of, of where we are today. And that's what we see is that Samson wouldn't listen to wisdom. And so, guys, I want to encourage you this. If, if you are venturing away from the path in your mind or in your heart in some way, and there's someone you trust, someone you know they love you, who is trying to speak some wisdom into your life, trying to point the right way, don't reject their wisdom. In Samson's life, it was his parents. Now, most of us in here probably are are not getting, because of the ages as I look across the room, most of us are probably not getting a lot of wisdom from our parents these days. We maybe are feeding them wisdom now, right? That whole circle of life thing. We're giving them wisdom. We're saying, hey, don't do that, or what are you all thinking? But that's where we are. But notice as you pick it up in Judges chapter 14, verse 1 to 4, it says, Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw there a Philistine woman. We should just stop and say, whoa, all right, right there. The Philistines and the Israelites were enemies. How many of you know that? All right? They were not good. He wasn't supposed to hang out with them. He wasn't supposed to intermarry with them. They weren't supposed to spend time with them. They worshiped two separate gods. Uh, The Philistines were uncircumcised. Uh, Not only that, uh, so they weren't part of the covenant. They didn't worship the same gods. They uh, were not considered, they they didn't live by the Ten Commandments. They didn't live by uh, the religious rules and practices of the day. I mean, this girl's bringing up her heritage, her family, her genealogy was completely different. And so notice what happened. He went down and saw a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father, "Uh, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go get her for me as my wife. Now that's kind of interesting. Kind of sounds cavemanish, doesn't it? Uh, You know, in in those days, uh, uh, weddings were arranged and uh, you'd be put together and there'd be some dowry that was paid and uh, they would, they would go arrange it. And so Samson sees this, uh, this Philistine girl, apparently she looked good or she at least pleased him and pleased him to the eye. And he comes back to his mom and dad said, I've seen this girl down here. I want you to get her. I want you to bring her back. I want to make her my wife. Now notice the wisdom he gets. His father and mother replied, both of them together in unison. 
Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives and among our people and our tribes? Must you go to an uncircumcised Philistine to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She is the right one for me. Now look at what it says in verse 4. His parents did not know that the Lord was from, this was from the Lord who was seeking to an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at the time they were ruling over Israel. Now, some people get confused about that latter part. Well, what does it mean that the Lord was looking for a way and a reason? What God is always willing to do and what God is uh, willing to do from time to time is use even our weaknesses, use even our failures to give him glory. And that's exactly what the Lord is doing. He's saying, man, I, God's ultimate perfect design for Samson would not be that Samson would go marry a Philistine woman. But God says, if you're going to follow your lust, if you're not going to follow me, if you're not going to listen to me, if you're not going to listen to your parents, you go on and I'm just going to use your failure as an opportunity, as an opportunity to exact some revenge and show some discipline on the enemy, the Philistines. And so that's exactly what happens. And so we see here that that Samson starts off in his road down to ultimate destruction by failing to listen to wisdom. So thought, thought number one, if you're going to be strong, guys, you have to listen to wisdom. Now, so the second question is, do you have people in your life who are willing to give you wisdom? Do you have people in your life who you trust and who you will listen to who will feed wisdom into your life. It might be your parents. But if it's not your parents, it might be some good, solid, solid Christian brothers, somebody at the office, someone you work with. You need someone giving you wisdom. We all do. I will promise you, as your pastor, I need people giving me wisdom all of the time. You should sit in our senior staff sometime with Scott in there and Justin in there, and Caleb in there, and Chase in there, and Dave Marsh in there, a lot of five guys in the room. And there, there are times that we are constantly, uh, you know, asking questions. And first thing we do, and, and we start with every staff meeting, is we, we give prayer requests to each other. And we say, hey, here's what's going on in my life, what's going on in your life, kind of, kind of just to, here's how things are going. Here's how things are going in my, in my family. Here's how things are going with my, with, 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 with my kids, with my, uh, my, uh, uh, my ministry, those kind of things. We share that. We pray for each other. Then we're also talking about things we're doing or things we're thinking about. And, man, there are guys in the room that are giving each other wisdom. And, and I will promise you ask any of these things. There are things that, that, that I want to do. Uh, and have wanted wanted to do over the years that these guys come up and say, you know, I, I really don't think you need to be journeying down that path, Pastor. Or, or maybe you're going a little too fast for the people, or maybe you're doing this. And it's just people speaking wisdom into my life. And the same thing with the other guys. We, it's just having a group of guys in the room. There are other guys in this church and, and around who speak into my life. And let me tell you what, there are a couple of guys in this church, when they come up and they give me a thought, here's what I know. All right. Now, there are a lot of people that always give me thoughts. Okay. I, I will tell you, there, when I, there are people who, when I receive an email from them, I know it's a complaint. It is. There, there are people who, every time they're going to talk to me, they're going to complain about something. All right. Those are not the people that are feeding wisdom into my life. Now, I'm also wise enough 
to remember that one of my wise counselors one day said, listen, probably even in every complaint, in every criticism, there might be a kernel of truth. Look for that. Ignore the rest. Right? That's a, that's a bit of wisdom. Okay? But there are people in, in the church that I can never remember a kind word they've said to me. And I, I still don't know why I'm, I, I don't know why I'm still their pastor. I mean, I really don't because, you know, some of them have been here 15, 16, 17 years, and I'm waiting for the nice conversation to happen, you know. And, uh, but, but, there, but there are people who the overwhelming amount of stuff they do is they talk to me and they give me encouragement. They say, man, that was great. Hey, tell Dave he's doing a great job with children. Tell so-and-so they're doing a great job. When those people come up and say, hey, man, have you all thought about, guess what? I pause and I step back and I go, you know, I know his perspective. This man wants what's best for me, what's best for our staff, and what's best for our church. And so if he's pointing it out, it might be something that I think about. Does that make sense? We all need people like that in our lives. And these guys, these guys in the staff know that there are times that I'll come in and say, hey, we need to reevaluate this. And they know, boy, it came from one of John Mark's, these guys that I really trust beyond the staff. Because, you know, even as a staff, we get our own perspective, right? We think things are going well. It's good to have people feed into us wisdom. So every one of us in this room needs people that will show wisdom and speak wisdom into life. And we must listen. Samson didn't. Listen, here's thought number two. Jump down. You have to watch your eyes. If you're going to be on your guard, you have to watch your eyes. Um, You know, Samson allowed him, we've already seen him once with the Philistine girl, be lured in uh, to temptation. Now we're going to see it happen to him again in Judges chapter 16, verse 1 to 3. Judges chapter 16, turn two chapters over. It says, one day Samson went down to Gaza, this is verse 1, where he saw a prostitute. Now, I want you, to, want you to see this, and I want to stop here, and I want you to know this. Samson didn't go, and you, you can read it even better in the Hebrew, Samson didn't go to Gaza looking for a prostitute, all right? He went down to Gaza to do business, to do work, and then he ended up seeing a prostitute. Does that make sense? So I want you to know, Samson didn't, Samson didn't say, hey, by the way, I heard there's a prostitute in Gaza. I'm going to roll down there. That isn't what he did. He, he went down to Gaza uh, to, on other business, and something just happens. And that's where we got to be careful as well, guys, that any time we go through our life and journey through our day at any moment, Satan can set something up in your life that will draw you away. You understand what I'm saying? Every moment. Today, you could have a full plan to do this and to do this and to do this, and all of a sudden, your eye, Satan catches your eye with something else. And we have to be careful. We have to be careful that we don't get drawn away. It says, one day Samson went down to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in and spent the night with her. All right, The people of Gaza were, Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, At dawn we'll kill him. 
But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate together with his two posts uh, and tore them loose, uh, bar and all. He lifted them up on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now, what do we see about this? First of all, he was in the wrong place with the wrong person surrounded by the wrong people. Man, there it is right there. And he let his eyes and temptation and lust get the best of him. And so we have to always understand, just like I want, first, number one, I want to listen to people who have wisdom. I want to be careful about the people I hang around with. I want to be careful about the places that I go. And as long as I have to go to certain places, I want to be cautious at how long I stay. Now, you might look at this story and focus on the fact, and we can, that, Satan, uh, that, that Samson was a pretty bad dude. He woke up in the middle of the night. They were going to kill him at dawn. He woke up in the middle of the night. What happened? He tore up the gate, tore up the post, carried him up on top of the hill and fa- uh, to the f- hill that faced Hebron. Now, kind of a neat little story, kind of a funny story. Kind of got one over on him, right? But we missed the point if that's what we think. Man, he was in the wrong place with the wrong person. And he got out by the skin of his teeth. You would have hoped that he would have learned his lesson. And so, guys, my encouragement to you here today, although this might, be your, might not be your story right now, if you look back over the last week, month, quarter, year, two years, if you've been in bed with a prostitute, Not literally. Hopefully. And you're getting out by the skin of your teeth. Don't stay there. And don't go back. Does that make sense? You may be getting away with it now. But someday it will lead to your doom. Because remember where we're headed. The end of the story. Samson's eyes get gouged out. He ends up doing a menial task. He's humiliated in front of everybody. So listen to wisdom. Watch your eyes and watch your heart. Don't hang out too long with the wrong people in the wrong place. Now let's go to the third idea. We have to learn to trust the right people. We have to learn to trust the right people. Man, this is the most crashing story of Judges chapter 16, picking up in verse 4. Everybody know the woman? What's her name? Somebody? Y'all know it. That's right. You know, I, in, in all, my, uh, all my years as a pastor uh, here at the church, we do uh, four or five uh, baby dedications a year. Uh, I've never dedicated a girl named Jezebel, and I've never dedicated a girl named Delilah. <laughs> that never, just doesn't ever happen. And so I want to encourage you uh, to be careful who you trust. Because it's interesting that clearly God had gifted Samson with power and strength. Uh, He rejected wisdom. Uh, He was willing to go into the wrong places, but he was always strong enough and a bad enough dude to get away with it. But there came a day, there came a time, there came a person There came a woman that he began to trust. 
I don't know why he trusted her more than you. Know, a prostitute stayed with the night. We don't hear much more about his wife that he married the Philistine. We don't know what. But somehow, some way, he began to play, play closer and closer and closer to the fire, and he trusted the wrong person. And so as we pick it up reading in verse 4, it says, uh, sometime later, we don't know how much, long, how much longer, he fell in love with a woman. That woman's name was Delilah. Uh, the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if, you can hi- see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can over- overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah and Samson. And so Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great power and your strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. And guess what Samson did? Samson answered, said, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings uh, that have not been dried, I'll be as weak as any other man. And so what had happened? She goes out, she gets those, she ties him up, and she says what? Samson, the Philistines are prone you, stands up, breaks the rope. Now, how many of you think at that point... You, you might would have said, you know, I don't think this is going to end well. <laughs> right? Right? Don't, wouldn't you think? Hey, think back over in the blunders of your life. How many of you have done this exact same thing? Every one of us. Now, her name might not have been Delilah, and it might not have been a woman. Might be something we took, something we said, some place we went. We barely got out. We were able to break the ropes that bound us. We got away with it. We got away with it. We got away with it. But on and on and on it goes. And so she comes back, and, and she, uh, uh, I love what she says in verse 10. Then Delilah said to Samson, you've made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied up. He says, well, listen, all right. Here, if anybody ties me securely with new ropes that have not, never been used, I'll be as weak as any other man. So Delilah did just exactly that and said, the Philistines are upon you. He broke up, snapped around. Then Delilah said, look, jump down to verse 13. All this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied up. He replied, all right, I'll leave seven braids in my head. Da, 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 da. He's ever and ever and ever, ever, every time he's getting a little closer and a little closer and a little closer to the truth. He's revealing a little too much and a little more. And he's getting a little closer to having his eyes gouged out. Then you jump down to verse 15. Then she said to him, how can you say that you love? I love you when you won't confide this in me. This is the third time you've made a fool of me. And haven't told me the secret of your great strength with which you, um, with, such nag- uh, uh, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. Now, think about it. Day after day. We're not talking about a 30-minute stretch or a one-hour stretch. This is a long season. He is playing this game. He is playing not with the devil, but with Delilah. And over and over again, he is, he is allowing her to get closer and closer and closer to the strength. So then, verse, uh, let's see, jump down to verse 18. It says, when Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she knew. She sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. 
He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with silver, uh, with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave his head, uh, shave off the seven braids of his hair. And so he began, they began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then, here it is in verse 20, Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you, and you woke uh, from his sleep and thought, I'll go out just as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Guys, if we stop listening to wisdom, if we go to the wrong places, we let our eyes lead us astray, and then we trust the wrong people, we ultimately are going to find ourselves in the wrong place, and Satan's going to be able to subdue us. We absolutely have to protect against that. And, and let me tell you, that, that's, that's not spiritual rocket science. Most of us know this. Most of us know this. They're just simple things that we all need to do if we're going to stay on the right path and head the right direction, and we're going to be able to stand as men at the end day. But there are times and seasons, and, and if you're running right now, and if you're making mistakes right now, I want you to know you might get away with it for a season. You might have a couple close calls. But there will come a day where God's hand of protection will be removed, and you may not even know it. And after that, because you're with the wrong people, in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing, Here's what will happen to you. Metaphorically speaking, then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him, listen to this, to grinding grain in prison. Samson was an epic failure. Who would be the sweet victory? I can think of one person in the New Testament. Go to the Apostle Paul. Boy, you think of what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. I've been poured out like a drink offering. Paul has gone from the day he became a believer to staying faithfully on task. Let me tell you what. Paul didn't have a sweet dreams existence. If you go look in 2 Corinthians, he was shipwrecked. He was naked. He almost died. He was hungry. He'd been bitten by a snake. He'd been run out of town. He'd been stoned. He'd been left for dead. I mean, it wasn't like everything that happened in Paul's life was peaches and cream just because he followed God. So listen, I'm not saying that begin to follow God as a strong biblical man and no difficulties will ever come your, life, come your way. No, that's the world we live in. But what we don't want to have happen to us is what Samson had happened to him over and over again, which is what? Those were self-inflicted wounds. Guys, this world is dangerous enough without us impelling our own selves with our own stupidity and our own lust and our own journeying off the path and our own going the wrong direction. I mean, just look around. Think of what's going on, right? Uh, in this world today, man, the sins of the past, it's beautiful that are being tweeted. I mean, it's just a hard season right now, right? Man, we've got to think about how harsh it can be and when our eyes can be gouged out, when we can be set to the grindstone, and when everything we love can be taken away. Jump down if you want to see probably the best passage that I would focus on as we journey is Ephesians chapter 6. Paul tells us how to stand strong, how to be strong. 
Ephesians chapter 6, it's the armor of God, and I'll read this, and this is how we'll finish. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Satan is out there looking to take us out, guys. Pick it up in verse 12. And he says, for our, all right, what does that word our mean? Our. It's not my, it's our. So listen to this. It's not just your struggle. It's not just my struggle. It's our struggle. For our struggle, there's a corporate dimension of the struggle we go through. All right? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against powers uh, of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, what's our response? Man, our struggle is against what? Together, we struggle against demonic forces, Satan, evil, everything that is in the world. Now, he says, our response is, therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when... Does that say if? No. It says when. It says when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to still stand. He goes, listen, when the day of evil comes, and, and man, if, if you listen to wisdom, and hopefully you will going forward, and if you have the right people in your life, and you don't go to the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people and stay there too long, if you don't love and trust the wrong people and the wrong things and linger too long and divulge your deepest, darkest secrets to the wrong people who don't do anything but betray you, even if you do all of that right, there will still come a day, guys, that we'll have to stand and fight. Because Satan's going to come after your family. He's going to come after your kids. He's going to come after you. He's going to come after your job. He's going to come after sometimes our mindset. He's going to come after us, try to, try to lead us down to depression, our finances, a lot of different spaces in a lot of different ways. And he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, here's the key, when, when everything comes at you, look at verse 14, you'll be able to stand firm. Now, how do you stand firm? Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth. Man, we've got to know what the truth is. We've got to know God's word. Buckled around your waist. We've got to have the breastplate of righteousness in place. That's speaking of godly actions. Man, when we leave here today, make sure with our godly actions, we say godly things and say the right things, and we say what is true, and we do what is right as best we can. Do everything we can that is, do, do everything we can that is right. Make the best decisions. Be honorable. Be upright. Be just. Put on the full honor of God. And he says, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Then read on. And have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. What is the gospel? The gospel is, man, we're all sinners and falling short of the glory of God. Man, have your feet ready. Guys, if you are surrounded by people, man, they are fallen in sin or have fallen in sin, man, give them the gospel. Man, don't act like you're high and mighty. We've all been down that road. We've all been down that path. And if we haven't, it's just for the grace of God that we haven't. I would say the vast majority of us in this room, now some of y'all look like spiritual giants. Some of y'all aren't like me. The vast majority of us in this room are only in the places we are because we weren't caught. Let's just be honest. 
I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you knew everything I did before I surrendered the ministry, I would not be your pastor. How can I not then turn around and deliver that grace and that gospel to others? Because God has been so good to me. So part of fighting is that we would come up beside a brother who has fallen or someone who is struggling. Man, we'd give them a hand, lift them up. Part of that is a gospel that the good news is, in spite of your sin, God loves you so much. And it's a gospel that brings peace. How does it bring peace? It brings peace with me and God. I don't have to live in guilt and shame all of my life. It can bring peace between me and those who I've hurt and those I've had relationships with. Give me peace in my own heart, man. That I don't have to walk around with the doldrums and depressions of all my failures in life because, man, Jesus paid for it on the cross. So there's gospel of peace. Uh, notice as we continue to journey on, he says, that's good news. In addition to this, verse 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. Uh, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Back in those days, and it wasn't uncommon, even in, even the Israel times, Israelite armies, but it's particularly in the Roman and, uh, and the Greek uh, Roman society, they would take arrows, all right, and they would dip them in some, so they'd put some cloth around the end of them, and they'd put some oily pitch on it. And it was not, you've seen this in the movies, where they would light those arrows on fire, and they would take, and if it, if it was a village or a, a fort that was wooden, they would just set it on fire. And they loved to do that. If you were an over, had, a, had an overpowering archery uh, team that would do that, as you marched towards someone, if their shields weren't ready, you would just start bombarding them with fiery and burning arrows. This is very common. This isn't something that just came from biblical time. Everybody who was reading this said, I know, I've seen this. On the battlefield, I seen what a fiery... And, and in those days, obviously, uh, the higher-ups uh, in, in the army and in the military... The higher-ups would have some sort of bronze or a metal shield. We like, we like to think of, you know, we've all seen the picture of the guy who, who, who puts on the full armor of God and he has this wonderful metal shield. You know what? The common army person in that day, you know what his shield was made of? Wood. Why? Because wood's cheaper. Well, guess what happens if a fiery arrow hits a wood shield? You're pretty well done. So guess what? If they knew they were coming up against an army that was going to be fire, uh, shooting fiery darts at you, what they would do is they would put leather skins on the outside of those wooden shields. Now, leather burns too a little. But then right before the battle, they would dip those shields in water. And then they would stand shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield, and they would begin to march and advance. Now, here's the point. You couldn't do that alone. You had to be surrounded by people. First line, shield here. Second line, shield here. Third line, shield here. All the way around. And you would make your advance together. The point is, we need others around us to make the advance with us to fight off the fiery, fiery darts that Satan's going to certainly throw our way. Now let's just continue to read on. He says, in addition to all this, uh, taking up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming areas, the whole idea of extinguishing, they understood in that day it wasn't just that you, you're going to go put them out like you do a wick on a candle. No, 
It, it was the leather that would put it out. It was the wet leather that would put it out. They knew exactly what he was talking about. Man, you, 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 no retreat, no way to back off. Then look at verse 17. He says, take the helmet of salvation. Man, settle your salvation. If you're in here, and, and it's not uncommon to doubt your salvation. I know when I surrendered the ministry, I doubted my salvation for, for a good long time. And here was my question. How could I have done those things while I was a Christian? That was my struggle. Finally, I had to come to a place in my life where I realized it wasn't me, it was God. So I got on my knees one night and just settled it. So I wasn't going to doubt my salvation again. It didn't mean I always acted like a Christian from that point on. I was still getting better and still am. But man, put on the helmet of salvation. Don't get to a space where you doubt your salvation, where you don't doubt your salvation. If you struggle with that right now, I want to encourage you to find someone that's wise next to you or that email you used earlier, pastor at cottonwoodcreek.org. Send me an email. Say, I'd really love to sit down with someone and settle my salvation. Because I will promise you, if you consistently and constantly doubt your salvation in your head, you'll doubt it in your heart and you'll doubt it in your walk. And it's easier to venture off the path, and Satan loves to do that to us. So put on your helmet of salvation. Don't doubt anymore. And then take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In other words, we've got to stay in the Word of God. So guys, here we are. This is thought number one. Lesson number one, as we think it through, we'll go through the next four over the next couple of weeks. But right now, as you journey out of here, think, be on your guard. Listen to wisdom from wise people. Don't put yourself in the wrong place with the wrong people at the wrong time, even if you've gotten away with it before. Because today could be the day you're going to lose it all. The only way not to lose it all is to put on the full armor of God. Surround yourself with a team of other warriors that will stand firm with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you for these guys that are here today. Thank you for the new guys that are here. Uh, God, as we journey forward today, God, we, every one of us leaves this room with a full understanding. There's not a perfect dude standing in this room. There's not a guy in here without a chink in his armor, without a, um, a blotch in his past, without a, a heart that at some point has been deceitful. But God, this day, we're going to be strong. We're going to be on our guard. We're going to listen to wisdom. We're not going to listen to our passions and our lust. We're going to put ourselves in the right places with the right people at the right time. So we can be strong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. You all have a great day.